0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. I'd like to ask you to stand and uh, turn in the Word of God or look up to the front. As we go again to Matthew 21, Our passage is 28 through 32. But I'm going to read 23 through 32 because this is the continuation of an event and the conversation that ensues from what we read about and talked about last week. And so this is the word of God. And when he, as Jesus, when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what? From heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the crowd, for they all regard John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. He also said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And now, continuing on, But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. And the man came to the second and said the same thing, and he answered and said, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, The first. Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. The tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him, and you, seeing this, did not even regret afterward so as to believe him. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. The debate that began and the passage that we read at the, initially this morning and looked at together last week between Jesus and the chief priests and the elders of the people is over. The conflict is done. Jesus has come to the temple in authority. He has taught in the temple on this day. In previous days, he had gone to the temple and done other things in authority. He had cleansed the temple. He had done things that were just scandalous to these men. And those events have provoked them to come and say, by what authority do you do these things? And Jesus has responded back to them. I will tell you my authority if you tell me what authority John the Baptist had when he was doing his baptism. They sought to trap him. He ends up, as always, trapping them. They are hoisted on their own Tarred. they are lifted up by their own question and and stuck through and and so the conflict is ended because they reply to Jesus well we don't know we just don't know we we really can't answer and so Jesus is done this is the point of the of the basketball game in which there's a guy on a fast break and there's no one around him at all and he's running for the basket and he's going to slam dunk because there's nothing anyone can do to stop him. And that's the point we find Jesus at here. He's won. It's over. You know, he's, he's defeated these guys. It's very interesting to see where Jesus goes when he has the opportunity to do this. How he responds. It's not a glory play. <laughs> he's not saying, look at me as he windmills through the air and slam dunks the basket with a defiant ah, in your face to, the, to his foes. But in fact, Jesus does use the opportunity to do something, and that is to continue along the vein of where he was going. He continues the discussion, but it's no longer an argument. It's, in a sense, a a lecture. And it's with the same men in front of the same crowd. Remember that these people that Jesus is speaking to here are the preeminent leaders of of the day and of the city and of Judaism. It's the chief priests and the elders of the people. It's not just the elders of a small town. This is Jerusalem. And it's not just some priests. It's the chief priests. It's it's probably Ananias and Sapphira, who later in the week put them to death because they're the chief priests. It's their entourage. It's as though the president and the speaker of the house and the president of the Senate come together and they say to you, what are you doing in Washington, D.C.? That's this kind of thing, they're not all friends, they're not all together. I mean, these, these groups, the elders of the people, probably members of the Sanhedrin, some of them are Sadducees, some of them are Pharisees. The Pharisees are a smaller and less important sect than these characters. Now some of them might be Pharisees, we don't know, but, but certainly the Pharisees are a subset and these are, these are the top of the tree. I mean, these are, these are the princes and the kings and uh and they've come to jesus and they've let jesus have it and in front of the whole crowd they're they're defeated they're they don't have a leg to stand on they're done the argument's over everyone knows it they 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 are cowards they are running they've got their tails between their legs and they're scurrying now they're not doing that you know uh, their legs are tight together but they have to stand there because they they can't actually run right that would be unseemly that would seem to indicate that they are just afraid of jesus they are they have been defeated but they don't want to admit it and so they're standing there still and so jesus continues talking to them and he does that through this parable that we have in front of us today and through another parable that we're going to look at next week we know that this is a parable because. Um, when Jesus continues on in the, uh, the, the next parable, he says, let me tell you another parable. And so it's clear this is a parable. It doesn't, Matthew doesn't introduce it by saying it was a parable, but Jesus makes clear that it is a parable, these two sons, a man and his two sons. And so having vanquished the leaders of Judaism, the prime movers in the capital, And having demonstrated in one fell swoop their cowardice and his power, that they are craven and that he is from heaven, and that John the Baptist was right and that they are wrong, and thus that they, though they hold those positions, are the leaders of Israel, they are rebels because they do not acknowledge God because the people all know that God was with John and the people all know that God is with Jesus and these people won't acknowledge that John is from heaven, his baptism and so they're sitting there in their robes and in their mighty office and they're going (whistles) against God against God, that's what they're doing. Mm, I don't like you, God, mm. Now they're the potentates of God, they're the appointed of God, they're the power of God, but no, they're not. The initiative has passed to Christ at the confession of these leaders that they don't know from whence John's baptism came, they don't know. And so they give up their authority to define, because if they don't know, who are they to declare? And they have cemented the authority of Christ. And so he follows up that admission of failure, that admission of impotence by these men with a parable. He tells a parable. And this parable is focused on those men, isn't it? But not just those men, others as well. It's a dual focus, though. The primary focus, in one sense, is the argument with these men. He actually begins in a way that kind of discomfited me as I began looking at this. He actually doesn't begin with those men in this parable, but he begins with the crowd as he lays out his parable. Uh, It's a parable that that is spawned by the religious leaders, spawned by their hostility, spawned by their rejection of his authority. These elders of the people, the chief priests who are standing there opposing him in the midst of the crowd, And so they know that this parable is about them. They know it very well and they understand when he tells his next parable that he's saying something about them as well because at the conclusion of that second parable when this confrontation in the temple is over, the chief priests and the Pharisees were reading Matthew having heard his parables, understood that he was talking about them. (laughs) They're under no illusions about whom Jesus is speaking of. He's talking about them. And when they sought to seize him, okay, so they say, all right, it's time. We're going to just do him in. We're going to show who has power here. When they sought to seize him, they again feared the people. Because they, the people, considered Jesus to be a prophet. And so there's, they're doubly stymied on this occasion. We'll come to that. But it's just, it's wonderful. God will not allow Jesus to lose. And I want to say to you, if you stand for the word of God, God will not allow you to lose. You'll never lose. They may claim his life but that's not a loss that's god's will but they can't do anything against him that god hasn't said they can do he speaks the word of god and they can't argue and they can't fight because they're cowards because they don't have faith in god and they don't know the glory of god so ironically what they feared with john the baptist is talking about john the baptist and saying things against john the baptist and we can't say it because the crowd, they, they revere John the Baptist. They end up in the, same, in the same confrontation doing with Jesus as well. They won't go after Jesus because the crowd, they're with Jesus. They hold him to be a prophet. And so they're, they're doubly impotent here. John had authority and they can't, they can't gainsay it. They can't go against it. Jesus has authority and they can't lift a hand against him. They want to, but they can't. But there is another audience for this parable, another group that Jesus has in view that's represented in this group listening to Jesus. Because if these two parables, the first of which we're looking at today, if these parables are judgment against the leaders of the Jew and spoken against the chief priests and the elders of the people, and they are, if they are against the leaders of the Jews, if their judgment on them, if they're an indictment of those men, well, they speak as well, both these parables, to another group. And they speak to that other group in another very different way than they speak to the first audience. And actually, the second audience, in Christ's esteem, is the first audience. So it's occasioned by the this, these parables by the, the rebellion, the anger, the judgment, the, um, the uh, rejection of him and John the Baptist by the religious leaders. And, and that's the occasion of these parables. But these parables have as their primary target the people around those people. So they address this crowd of rebels, religious rebels. But actually, the primary focus in the parable is not these people, they're hopeless. The primary target is this crowd, the crowd that's listening and holding him up as a prophet and that listened to John the Baptist, okay? So, the two groups here are not representative of the world in general. It may seem you have on the one side all the goats, all those rejected. And on the other side, you have all the sheep, the judgment, the whole world, every, every person, all mankind. That's not the case here. This is the temple. These are all Jews. This is in the house of God. Do you understand? This parable is not about the world and us. It's about some of us versus others of us in the church. Some religious leaders versus other religious people that's the focus here it's not the world the world it's a dualistic world yeah there are it's not it's not analog it's either you're damned or you're going to heaven there's no in between and if you want to say well I'm kind of somewhere in between no you're not but that's not the point here the point is also within the church there are there is the same binary the same one side or the other nature of things And Christ does bring to the world division, and he says that. And I've come to bring a sword. He's come to lay a fire. But here he's speaking to to Jews, to Christians, to God's people, to the people who are in the church. Now, the first group Jesus speaks of in his parable are those represented you know I don't know if you're like me but when I read this parable maybe I I didn't actually check this out if there's a parallel uh, telling of this in another gospel which gives the the other side first but here in Matthew the side that Jesus talks about first in his parable are those who say no not those who say yes I always thought in my mind it was those who said yes who he talked to first you know oh yeah but no, the first people is the, are represented by the son who says, ah, I'm not gonna go work in your vineyard today to the father. The rebels, you know, the out-and-out out rebels. A rebel, a son who will not do what his father asks. That's who he speaks about first, and so that's who we'll talk about first. This is the man or woman who says to God, when God informs you, when he speaks to you in some way and says to you, you should do this, you respond, okay, You respond, no, I don't think I will. Thank you very much. I have other plans, and I don't really feel like doing it, right? And you all have done that, and I've done that, right? And many of us spent years of our lives doing that. No, no, God, I'm not going to do it, you know? I understand your word, but no, 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 I'm not going to do it. Ah. But actually, we, we don't say it like that, do we?" And this son doesn't say it like that. He just goes because when your kids are not going to do what you tell them to do, they don't make a point of it usually. They sighed a little, you know. <laughs> I remember the first time—the <laughs> first time I tasted alcohol. I got—I vomited all over myself. I was so sick. The next morning, I mean. I passed out. The next morning I come to church. And, uh, and I reek of vomit. And I'm in my dad's Sunday school class. And I vomited on my down jacket, puffer jacket. Back. I was so proud of it, a Woolrich jacket. I don't think I ever wore it again. And uh, I just could not stand to have people know what I'd been doing. You know, oh, mud, called my mother mud. I don't, I don't feel good. I, I felt bad all last night. My stomach, my head is pounding. But all I want to do is pretend like, yeah, yeah. This isn't, this isn't a stupid fool who got drunk near to the point of death last night. This is just a kid who's sick. You know, you want to think well of yourself. You, want to, you don't want it to be clear that you're an out-and-out rebel. So Jesus is speaking to the rebels here, those who sidle away who come in smelling of vomit, but don't say, no, I'm just a stupid fool of a kid who sinned last night. Say, I'm just sick. I'm sick, mud. And ironically, (laughs) obviously, if you look at the passage, Jesus is speaking in defense of that group. You understand that? Now, he's not defending their actions. But he's saying, yeah, there are two groups. There's the group that says, no way. And they live that no way and they go on their way in that no way maybe they don't say it aloud maybe no one knows they're doing it but many of you are doing that right now i i have no doubt among our young and among the older that there are many who are saying yeah god maybe someday and jesus is speaking here and he says of these guys you know at some point They go and actually do what their father asked them to do. That son who said no, goes and he feels guilt. He he regrets what he said. And he goes, all right, I'm gonna go do it. And Jesus is defending these. It's like Jesus is defending the prodigal son against the older brother. He says, why are you showing favor to him, the rebel? I've been good, I've been home. And like the prodigal's father, Jesus is saying here, you know? Pay attention. They regret it. They came to a point of regret and they changed. And the reason he defends them and speaks up for who? Who is he speaking up for on behalf of? He's speaking up in behalf of the tax collectors and the prostitutes. But... I, The tax collectors and the prostitutes, he says. The tax collectors did believe John. That's who's in this crowd. That's the people who went to John to be baptized. The tax collectors who are reviled. As slimy as you can get because they're just thieves from their brothers. They steal from everyone and they have no compunction of conscience. They just are thieves and they're wealthy thieves. And the prostitutes. And he says, yeah the tax collectors, and the prostitutes. So what did they leave their father and do? Well, they went into prostitution. They went into tax collection. They did these things, because that's the people he's talking about here, right? They did wicked things, they were evil people, they lived in shameful ways, and I'm speaking for them, Jesus says. I'm speaking for them, because why? because I didn't come to judge the world because you're all sinners. I didn't come for judgment, but that the world through me might be saved. And I love these people because they've regretted what they did. Jesus defends them because he wasn't sent by the Father to condemn, but that the world through him might be saved. And the second reason he defends the tax collectors and prostitutes is that these people are the reason Jesus is hated by the religious leaders mark my words if Jesus had come with the power that he displayed and the teaching and the glory that accompanied his ministry and had made himself the ally of the leaders of the Jews the chief priests and the elders of the people they'd have loved him they'd have bowed to him they'd have said he's our man (laughs) Ha! Jesus is not their man. He's not on their side. And we'll come to why. But he's not on their side. He's on the side of the tax collector and the prostitute. And they hate him for it. He should be lifting them up. They're the righteous ones. He should be establishing their authority. After all, they reside in the place of power. But no. He's with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. And it's the same today. Uh, In the church today, in Jesus' day, the elites hated the sinners. And in that hatred, they hated Jesus. They hated the dirty people. Now, they were sinners, but their sins were cleaned. They were the clean machines. They had the packaging down. They were the apples of their day going against the little no-name Taiwanese brands. They are the ones who look perfect. And Jesus is spending his time with the people who don't look at all good. They define themselves as clean, these men. They know the ways of God. They know the grace of God that's found through our ministrations on your behalf in the temple, we are bringing you to God. Come through us. We have the grace of God in our hands. Every time we offer a sacrifice for you, every time we do these things, we preach, we teach, you are receiving God from us. And then Jesus comes and he gives it directly. And he's bringing it right to the people. He's talking to the people. He's loving the people. He's feeding the people. These sinners. And these guys in the temple are prattling on and on about God and about grace and about how good God is to have given us this means in the temple of obtaining the grace of God so that we can be forgiven by these sacrifices and the sacrifice that establishes all those sacrifices. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, is in their presence and they hate him. They're only talking about sacrifices and they're only talking about the glory of God and a coming Messiah. He's there and they don't like him. They prattle on about grace, never wanting to admit that the grace of God is power, power, not words, not sacrifices, power that comes into the life of the rebel who repents and gives you power so that you don't need the priest, so that you can go directly to God and be made new, so that you become a new creation. They don't want that. No. They want dependency. They want to feed. God the Father is constantly speaking to mankind, and you've all heard his voice. He speaks in a million ways, and every man has heard the voice of God. He speaks to the stars as you go out in the summer night or you go out into the wilderness and you look up at the the constellations of the Milky Way and you say, God, God. And if you say, Wow, they did it by themselves, (laughs) you're crazy you're a nut let's be honest here it's nutty to think this all just happened by a random collection of chances (laughs) God is speaking in his greatness and his glory and his holiness and his majesty are indelibly written in the things he's created so We as man, we attribute the glory of God's majesty to nature and deify nature rather than worshiping its creator. For years I went out and I saw God in the wilderness, but I drank every night. (laughs) I worshiped creation, but I didn't want anything to do with its creator. And so we attribute the glory of God to the glory of evolution. We reject the reality of God's nature and his divine majesty that the creation itself is shouting to us. Everyone's heard. He speaks for our consciences every man has a conscience every man God's speaking to us saying to us you shouldn't kill you shouldn't mock you shouldn't make fun of the poor you should not do these things you know it you have it you've had it since birth if you don't have it now people will say that you're a psychopath or a sociopath the reality is you're just a really evil sinner who has turned off God's voice You've just ignored it and defied it for so long that you don't hear it anymore. He speaks in our actions through our rejecting obvious truths that God has made apparent through creation, through our conscience. And so we reap the consequences of our deeds. We start drinking and we become alcoholics. And you live the years that I lived in alcohol and you say, This is awful. Yeah, it starts off like the first cigarette of the day. Those of you who have smoked know that the first cigarette of the day is wonderful, right? But by the time you're on your 30th cigarette, it's death or 40th of the day. It, it's no longer nice. It's just addiction. You know what I'm talking about, some of you. All of you know it. There's an area in all of your lives where you're addicted to what's wrong. I'm not speaking of cigarettes here. I'm talking about the sins that a cigarette can represent. A cup of coffee for you. I'm not talking about coffee either, but some of you can't live without coffee. You know the point I'm making. It's a deeper point than coffee or cigarettes. And of course, God speaks to all of us through his word, which is heard. We know it. This world knows it. We're surrounded by it. <laughs> Even the billboards on the highway quote the word of God there's no place where the word of God is not heard no place where his will is not known and thus you and I and all men are without excuse the Bible says we're without excuse we are rebels God has told us what to do our father has said this is the way and we've said no thanks no thanks we haven't even said that we've just said okay and we've sidled off meandered The remarkable thing is not that we say no to our father because we're sinners the remarkable thing in this parable is that this son regrets saying no and he turns around and he obeys and this is glory the glory of repentance the gift of god repentance is a gift so god has given the gift of repentance also to the gentiles the early church says what a gift to say I'm wrong what a gift to be able to say you know I've been a rebel but maybe my father will have me back I should try I think I'll go back this is wonderful there we were you and me on our roads on our roads to Damascus like Saul the persecutor of the church the one who became Paul out and out against God out and out going our way out and out thinking that we know it all and that we don't need to listen to Jesus and then God goes wham upside the head and we go oh oh you're that Christ okay and we repent and heaven dawns in our hearts And we realize suddenly that God is not the meanie who's saying work, work, work. But he is the father who loves us. At some point in your life, your rebellion will go to being a sentence rather than a perk. A curse rather than a choice. It'll be the 40th cigarette of your day, not the first. You'll go... And if God is merciful when that day is come he'll give you the the gift of repentance to say what am I doing what am I doing so the rebel is blessed by obeying he's not blessed for obeying he's blessed by obeying God blesses him by giving him a heart and a will that obeys that's the blessing His repentance is the blessing. Now, lots of good things come from it. But the fountainhead of it all, the power of it all, is found in that gift of saying, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And this crowd is comprised of two groups. One group has never said, I'm wrong. Ah, they've said they're wrong in little ways, you know. They do their own sacrifices for their own little deeds of sin. But no big sins, no great offenses against God the other group is very very aware that they have done great misdeeds that they have been rebels and so God has given us the gift of repentance God wraps it up in a bow and at some point he thrusts it into your life if you're like Saul if you're like me and he says here try it try it out turn your heart back towards me and see what I do and you look at your life And if God has given you the gift, you say, whoa, this is maybe the last chance. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to see if my dad will have me back. I'm going to do what he said. And God says, my son. So we find in the Bible that every great man of God saved Jesus is known for his sin. You understand that? Because we're all collectioned collected together we're a collection of sinners it's it's what unites us that we are great sinners who have come to know the mercy of God and and the Bible is full of these great sinners who become well like David who murdered and committed adultery a a man after God's own heart and the promise of the Messiah would that would come to the earth would be of his line as given to him so you have Jonah the great prophet, who was a rebel, and said, no! God brought him to repent. You have Lot, the man who went to Sodom, and then after Sodom did other things, and who was a righteous man because he repented. We have Abraham, the man who lied about his wife, but was a friend of God. We have Peter, the rock on which God would build, Christ would build his church, the man who denied his Savior three times. We have Paul, the persecutor of the church, a violent man against Christians. Jesus says to them, Why are you persecuting me from heaven? We have James and John, the sons of thunder, great men of God who sought thrones and said, We want to sit at your right and left. We have David. We have Mary Magdala, from whom Christ cast out seven demons. We have Matthew, the tax collector. God's children are all sinners. You should really be known for your sins. In this house, you should be known as, oh, that's David, the drunkard that God gave power against alcohol. The proud man that God took years to teach a little bit of humility to. What? It, who are you? Now, we know who these men are, don't we? Uh, they're enemies of Christ, these religious leaders. That's their sin we know them for. They hated Jesus, and that's the only deadly sin. They're plastic saints, paper mache priests, impeccable and stainless, without sin in their lives. No need for John, because they weren't sinners. No need for Jesus, because they're impeccable. They look the part. They're the religious leaders. They don't need these things. They say, yes, 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 to God. But their actions are all no. They talk a good fight, but they've never entered the ring against sin. Preachers of godliness who dispense their wares, their preaching powers, their form of godliness in dribs and drabs, a little bit here, a little bit there, a touch here and a tad there for you, like the Roman Catholic Church, come to Mass every week and maybe your mortal and venial sins will be relieved, but you better come back and you better come back. There are the guys on Twitter who are talking to you all the time about the grace of God, the grace of God. Yes, you're a sinner, the grace of God, the grace of God. Yes, you're a sinner. Come back to me and I'll tell you more about the grace of God, the grace of God. They have no understanding of the power of God that comes into the life of a sinner and makes him a new creation. No, they're raising a flock like a mother bird little birdies in their nest. All of them sitting there with their mouths open. And the mama comes and feeds a drip of grace. And the baby goes, a drip of grace. Come back next week if you want more grace. No, you're not gonna be able to leave behind your life of sin, but you come here and I'll keep dropping little worms of grace into your mouth and you'll feel better about yourself that's these men. And you must hate such men because they're your enemies and they keep you from the power of God. They give you grace by the ounce and by the tweet instead of the blood of Jesus washing you and making you new Well which of these men are you? Are you the sinner who's known for his sin because it's gone and in the past redeemed by Jesus? The rebel who's been saved or are you the saint who's actually a rebel? The one who's looking the part but has tasted nothing of the power Which are you? Repent. This is the day to repent. Repent. Say to God, God, I'm done playing games. I've not been following you. I will take one baby step towards you today and please help me. You will see the glory of Christ and how much he loves sinners if you do this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for this passage that's... And Father, it's pregnant with your spirit and your power. May we take it to heart. May we learn from it. And may you change us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.